So I'm going to try and finish up, and try is the operative word. I know that Yoda says do or do not, there is no try. But if it's going to be a two-hour sermon, then then it'll just be try. But I'm going to try and finish up um, for the, the book of 1 Timothy and 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've been on this series of pastoral letters. I want to say it's been like 16 weeks or something, but longer than that because we've had guest speakers in between. I'm going to try and wrap up 1 Timothy, um, which is uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, a young pastor, also to the church at Ephesus, a young church that was in the midst of turmoil. So we've been there for a while, but let's not forget the focus and emphasis. This was meant to encourage the body. It was meant to encourage a young pastor, but also a young church and say, hey, set your eyes on Christ. There's all kinds of obstacles that we face. There are all kinds of things that get thrown our way, but we've got to overcome them and keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our prize. He is our source. So come on, let's do it. And that's the letter of 1 Timothy. Um, just in encouraging you guys for the book of 2 Timothy, if 2 Timothy is a totally different tone than what we have experienced in 1 Timothy. We've kind of done 1 Timothy and Titus together. We've kind of pulled in from Titus, 1 Timothy, um, because they have so many similarities. 2 Timothy, just keep this in mind as we're studying, as you're kind of going ahead you know, blazing the trail um, for the next part of the series. Second Timothy was Paul's last letter before his death. So, and Paul knows it. Paul knows it. He's aware of it. You can, when you read, there's a tone. I mean, there's like a heaviness. You're, as you're reading, you're like, whoa, brother, serious, you know, and somber even. Um, but it's, it's the last letter he wrote before he was martyred. Um, and, and But it's still, it's a powerful letter. But as we conclude... Um, this letter, think about if you're writing a letter to a loved one. Think about if you're writing a letter to someone to encourage them. You know they're struggling and your letter is going to encourage them and build them up. And how do you close that letter? How do you close it out with? You know, what's your what's your closing thought? And as we cover this passage, that's what we have in mind. These are Paul's closing thoughts as he finishes up this letter. So we're going to kind of skip around um, and cover the rest of this chapter. So we're at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read verses 1 and 2. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake in the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Paul's counsel for the master-slave relationship can be applied and should be applied to the employer-employee relationship today. We see in this passage there is a scriptural call for employees to work hard and to show respect for their for their employers. Why? Two reasons we see here. Number one, so that the name of God will not be spoken against. Number two, so that our doctrine will not be spoken against. Isn't this interesting? We see in the word that we are to be hard workers in what we do and that we are not to speak ill. We are to, to treat our masters or our employers with, with honor. Why? So that God will be glorified. We hear it time and time again and we're going to hear it again right now. 
It ain't about me. It ain't about you. We don't see the bad boss clause. But, you know, my, my boss, he's such a jerk. We don't see the, the, I don't think we, hold on. We don't. There's not the, I'll, I'll keep looking, but there's not the bad boss jerk clause that gives us the right to, to be dishonoring or to not work hard. All throughout the word, we see character, character, character. What are the qualifications of an elder, of a deacon, of a leader, of the body? Character. A, a boss who's a jerk does not give us the right to shed our character. If we do that, then we lose integrity, we lose honor. We don't have a good name, and he does not have a good name because we represent him. Our work should reflect our faithfulness to and our love for Jesus Christ. We care about his good name. And as long as it is within our ability to do so, we take honorable measures to protect his name. We should also care about our good names. We should. I care about my good name. I don't care, uh, you know, uh, so much about it that it turns into some vain, full, prideful thing. But I do care. I care about having a good name. In First in Timothy, it said that, that uh, elders should have a good reputation with their neighbors. So I care about my name. I care about my reputation. But I care about my reputation in accordance with caring about God's reputation. I represent Him. See, He's perfect. He never blows it. I blow it all the time. You blow it almost as much as me. You know, we, we are flawed. So we should care more about His good name than our good name. Because you know what? There's times we're going to put our foots in our mouth. And, and there's times we're going to blow it. And there's times, just by being human, we're going to taint our good name a little. But we keep running to Jesus. We keep looking to Jesus. You know, even when we blow it, what an opportunity it is to be real and genuine, even in the midst of relationship, and go, man, I'm sorry. You know, yesterday I was just negative and I was just complaining and I was just, and I, I just, you know, today's a new day and it's a good day and and I had a little attitude check and so you know, I'm sorry, if, you know, I was Captain Bringdown yesterday. Oh, no, that's okay. You know, we were just talking about what a jerk the boss was. Yeah, I know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that because I'm a Christian and the Bible tells me that I'm to be honorable in this place. I'm to work hard. So you see my point, right? Why am I taking time to teach this tonight? Because right there in that passage, we see it plainly listed. Paul plainly instructs Timothy and all ministers to teach and preach these principles. To teach and preach these principles. Principles. Character. I'm amazed. I really am. I'm amazed at how much it all comes back to character. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Character is a characteristic of godliness. Walking in integrity, walking in an honor. We should have firm and strong character. Let's jump to verse 3. 
If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, and that's if anyone advocates, it's also translated as if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and de- deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. But he who claims to be Christian that does not agree with the words of Jesus Christ. He who claims to be a Christian and does not agree with the words of Jesus Christ is proud and contentious. They are proud and argumentative, stirring up trouble for His church. If we claim to be a Christian, by golly, we believe the words of Jesus Christ. We stand on the words of Jesus Christ. We adhere to the words of Jesus Christ. We make our lives about Him. That person is proud and contentious, ignorant and does a great deal of harm to the church and knows nothing. Now, I want to point something out here. Um, sometimes when we read Scripture, we do it so quickly that, that we we fail to, to grasp the who, what, when, where, why, how. Okay, The who in this is someone who teaches or advocates teaching contrary to Jesus Christ. Okay, So the context of what we're talking about is a... Uh, is someone who claims to be a believer. Now, when we go out there to the world, um, we can expect to get people who claim to, you know, we can, we can expect to get different views, right? They're going to have a different opinion about Jesus. They're not going to necessarily believe the teachings of Jesus Christ. The problem we've had at the church is we've treated people in the world like Paul is instructing the church to treat people who are teaching falsely. The theme of false teaching, it started this book. It was in the middle of the book, and now it's at the end of the book. The theme of false teaching has been all throughout First Timothy. So the problem is, we've gone outside those walls, and we've talked about Jesus, and then when they didn't agree with the firm teachings of Jesus Christ, then we've come and said, you're proud, you're ignorant, you know nothing, you're contentious. Right? That's what we, I mean, you don't have to say yes because then you're invoking, you know, you're like, yes, I'm guilty. We as a church have been guilty of this. And that's not what this passage says. Those who are most proud are usually those who know the least. Have you noticed that? Those who pose argumentative questions are usually the ones without answers. Right? Right? I'll just pose enough questions. I don't got the answers. But if I can bring enough confusion, and then I'll feel better about myself. See, if I, who am in all ways superior, 
don't have the answers. How, how could you possibly have the answers? Too many times we engage in arguments in the church or with other um, Christians or with other theologians. And we engage in arguments trying to, to reach finality. And the Bible says, avoid these things. The answer is not knowledge or wisdom. Right? The answer is not knowledge or wisdom. We go to the university, we go to the schools, what's the answer? Curriculum, knowledge, wisdom, right? The answer is not knowledge or wisdom. It's not knowledge of the Bible. What's the answer? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. If we make it about knowledge, then we make it about us. Because I'm more knowledgeable than you, or I'm not as knowledgeable as you, right? If we make it about knowledge and not about Jesus, we make it about us and our ability to attain knowledge or to study diligently. I'm a better studier, preparer, whatever than you. If we make it about knowledge and not Jesus, we're still making it about us. The answer is not knowing about Him, but the answer is what? Knowing Him. The answer is relationship. I think that's one of the reasons that we don't share our faith as much because we're insecure in what we know. I'm insecure in what I know. I don't know the word enough. I haven't been saved long enough. So we make it about us. My friends, what's the answer? Him. We make it about Jesus. I can share Jesus to anyone. Why? Because it's not about my knowledge. I'm not a theologian. I don't claim to be a theologian. You shouldn't claim to be a theologian. Good Lord, please don't be claiming to be a theologian. Make it about Jesus. And just share Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. Come on. Come on over here. Yeah, you're definitely sleeping. Next time. Just pop them on the back of your head. There we go. That's right, young people. Where are we at? Okay. All right. Andy, we're going to have to edit that part out of the sermon. All right. There we go. The answer is knowing him. Verses 4 and 5. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise what? Envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men. Isn't that interesting? Tell me that's not exactly what the enemy wants to take place within God's church. Envy. You know, I think there's times I might err on the side of informality. You know, just for this, you know, in in my leadership, because I've been in places where they've done the whole lead pastor, the hero worship thing. You know, where that he's put on a pedestal, and and so I'd rather, you know, not wear a suit, not wear a tie, not wear, you know, just be myself. Why? Because when we allow envy into the church and a a hierarchy, we've given the enemy place. 
envy, strife, abusive language. Tell me that's not the intent of the enemy within the church. Abusive language. What is abusive language? It's corrupt communication. You know, for far too long, we've made corrupt communication saying the S word and saying the F word and saying the D word and saying the A word. And we've made that corrupt communication, right? The whole while we've allowed uh, gossip and we've allowed insecurity and we've allowed offense and we've allowed those kind of words to come as the norm in the church. And we've said, that's not corrupt communication. Absolutely, that's corrupt communication. You know what? I'll take an S word every now and then. Every day of the week. Instead of taking gossip. Instead of taking insecurity and slander. And the things that come with it. Corrupt communication. Strife. Abusive language. Evil suspicions. And constant friction between men. Constant friction between men. We are to be in relationship with one another. You know, there's... Confrontation is a good thing. Confrontation doesn't have to be conflict. Right? Confrontation doesn't have to be conflict. Just going, hey, uh, can, I, can I talk to you? That's confrontation. That is confrontation. That is confronting something that may be between us so that there's no friction. So there's nothing there. Now, how I choose to approach this and how we choose to receive it, that's when conflict is given place or not given place. Right? If we come with love, if we come with grace, if we come with a concern that there not be anything between us, I love confrontation. We should love confrontation. We should not fear confrontation. If you've ever said, I'm not a confrontational person, then change change your mind and say I'm not a negatively confrontational person I don't know you know add something to it but we should be confrontational people because confrontation is not necessarily bad if it's done with the heart of Jesus Christ the heart of our Father Matthew Henry famous Bible commentator had this to say about this passage I just read when men are not content with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, but will frame notions of their own and impose them, and that too in their own words, which man's wisdom teaches, and not in the words which the Holy Ghost teaches, they sow the seeds of all mischief in the church. And even this is just a gross understatement. What is What, what are we certain the enemy comes to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. This passage right here, this is Paul kind of bringing it all together in his letter to Timothy, letter to the church at Ephesus saying, they're sneaky. (laughs) The enemy's sneaky. His tactics are, they're divisive. They're meant to steal, kill, and destroy. the end of that passage I read in verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. A life sold out to Jesus Christ does indeed bring great wealth. 
but too often we've had a misconception of what that great wealth should be. It's the rich simplicity of being able to be ourselves before God and in God. You know, Paul throughout this chapter, you know, I, I read it last week, said the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know, he instructs us what to do with our money, to be generous with our money, to be givers, but not to strive to be rich, not to strive to be rich, because then our aim is off. Then our motivations are off. We find ourselves at the end of this letter. The, the end of the urgency that Paul picks it up with. Let's go to verse 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. What's Paul saying here? Guard what has been given to you. Guard it. The enemy's trying to steal it. Protect it. Guard what has been imparted to you. Guard what has been given to you. My friends, that's, this is written what, what, to Timothy and to the church. This is our obligation. Guard what has been given to us. Guard, protect what has been given us. We know the, the, the plans of the enemy to come against us through, through chatter, through just little... They say it's the, 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 the little foxes that, this, that ruin the vine. You know why? Because the little fox can't reach the grapes. So he gnaws at the base until the vine falls over and the whole vine is dead. It's the little things. My friends... We are charged with guarding, with protecting what God has given us. You know what? I, I'm, I'm, you know, at times, I, you're going to find this hard to believe, but just trust me. At times, I can be abrasive. You know, at times, I can be a little, you know, vocal and outspoken. At times, I'm going to rub you the wrong way. If I rub you the wrong way and I, 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 if there's an offense that you need to come to me with, then come to me with it. Don't go to one another with it. In fact, here's what you're charged with in protecting and guarding. If you go to one another with it, you know, turn turn to that person, you know, so, sister, if someone comes to you and they're like, Mark, this and this and this and said this and this. Be like, man, you know what? I hear you, I hear you. But you know what? I'm going to call Mark in about three days. So I'm giving you two days to call Mark. And on the third day, I'm calling Mark. And I'm going to say, hey, Brian's got a bone to pick with you. And, and he kind of shared some stuff with me. And I told him to give you a call. So I just wanted, has, Mark called, has, he, has Brian called you yet? But he's going to. And then you call Brian. You'll be like, hey, I, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And I called Mark and he's expecting your call. Right? I'm, I'm totally serious. I, I am completely, totally serious. Why? Because we're not going to allow strife and corrupt communication to come in. We're going to protect it. We're going to guard it. Amen? Why? Because we're not going to allow, I'm just going to go ahead and repeat myself until we get a louder amen. Amen? Hey, we all stand guard. 
We all have each other's back. We all believe in the words of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do we guard the treasures and riches of God's word and wisdom that has been given to us? How do we protect those things so that they are not stolen from us by the enemy? This passage actually gives us the answer and it's quite simple. Avoid worldly and empty chatter with people who have no intention on hearing what you have to say. Isn't that interesting? Avoid, this is the word of God. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. Avoid the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Avoid this foolish communication. Avoid the foolish arguments. In my example, Christine didn't get swept up in it. She avoided it. I hear you, I hear you. Call Mark. Boom. Right? How easy is that? Well, that might step on some toes. That's all right, man, because we serve a healing God who heals toes when they're stepped on. Right? Politically correct. Once again, that's just such garbage. It's such garbage. Well, I I don't want to offend them, really. You don't want to offend them. You just want to keep on letting them just slam and slander one another and tear down the body of Christ, but you don't want to offend them? Good Lord, offending somebody is not the worst thing to happen. Allowing the enemy a divisiveness. That's much, much worse than stepping on a toe. Doran, let me see your toe. Man, he's all right. <laughs> Avoid those arguments. Don't disprove them. Once again, why, why would we want to disprove them? Most often, to show how smart we are, if we're honest, if we're totally honest, Most of our efforts in disproving them is to show how much we know. It's to show how much knowledge we have. It really is. But yeah, I want them to know Jesus. Well, then pray. Uh, Get on your knees and spend time in prayer for them that that they would know Jesus. Because, man, if they ain't hearing you, they ain't hearing you. And no matter how persuasive you think you are, if someone has their heart set on not hearing you, They're not hearing you. Don't disprove them. Avoid the argument altogether and pray for them. Ask God to change their minds and hearts because you're not going to. Trust God and have faith in Him. Why are we to avoid these things? Because people who allow themselves to get caught up in a lot of talk often miss the whole point of faith. I love the Proverbs. You know, when I was young, I'd read a proverb a day. You know, there's 31 Proverbs, there's 31 days in most months. And I'd read a one a day. And so much of the Proverbs just has such good, insightful wisdom. When, when words are many, sin is present. <laughs> Wise is the man who holds his tongue. Notice, once again, that it says to avoid the empty chatter and the arguments and not to avoid the people. Right? We are to avoid the empty arguments and chatter, but not to avoid the people. We're not supposed to hide from one another. We're not supposed to dodge one another. 
And once again, please, let's keep in context. This is in the context of a brother with some misguided teaching, a sister with some misguided teaching. This is in the context of of Paul giving direction to Timothy of someone who is advocating and teaching a different a different gospel that's not based on the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ. We aren't to avoid one another. Why do I point that out? Because I'm driving a point home. The whole point about confrontation, what's it easier to do? Confront or avoid? What's it easier to do? Avoid. We are not called to avoid one another. We are called to avoid arguments and this, this rambling chatter. How do you do that? Well, God gave you a personality. Just use your personality. Mine will be, my, my approach will be different than yours. Mine will be, eh, 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 zip it. You know, and then I'd laugh about it. So I'm, I'm just messing with you. Well, I'm not really messing with you. I'm, t- I'm totally serious, but I'm doing it in a funny way. God calls us to relationship with others, and he uses relationship. So let's not avoid one another just to avoid confrontation. As long as the people will respect our wishes to not argue, then we have no reason to avoid them. Once again, communication, what a valuable tool. Hey, brother, I hear you. I do, man. I I don't agree. And not only do I not agree, man, my heart's troubled. Because what you're doing tears down his church. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. What, you. what I'm hearing you say just tears down his church. And so I don't want to sit here and argue about it. I just want to encourage you to go into the word, man. If you believe what Jesus said or not. And if we believe what Jesus said, we've got to follow it. We've got to live it. You, know, you, you hear what I'm saying? Relationship. Relationship. Communication. Well, what do we do? We avoid one another. Why? Because what I just did right there is, seems so scary to us. It's not scary. It just takes a commitment of relationship. See, we're in relationship together. There's a commitment. I owe it to my brother to pray for him, to talk with him, to encourage him as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, to sharpen him, to do so with love, to love him, to have patience for him, to have grace for him. My job is not to change him. See, if I get swept up in my ability to orate and to win the argument, then I think it's my obligation to change him. It ain't my obligation to change him. It's my obligation to point him to Jesus and to love him and say, hey, edify the body, brother. Don't tear it down. Right? Now, is that, I mean, how, how offensive is that? If you get offended by that, you're just looking to be offended. If you got offended by that, then you have truly made it about you. And you're just looking to be offended no matter how sugary I could make it. The sweetest person in this room, which might be me also, I might be both the sweetest. No, I'm just kidding. That's probably Kara. She's the sweetest person in this room. The sweetest disposition, the sweetest delivery, the kindest, gentlest could still be received with offense. Our hearts have to be that of Jesus. Let's remember these scriptures as we get closer to election day and immediately afterwards, especially if our candidate doesn't win or if your candidate does win. 
Let's remember these scriptures in everything we do and in every way we think and in every way we live. And I'll repeat the two things listed so that the name of God will not be spoken against. My actions. So that the name of God will not be spoken against. My commitment to communication so that the name of God will not be spoken against. My hard work and honor in the workplace so that the name of God will not be spoken against. And number two, so that our doctrine will not be spoken against. Why is that important? Because we're sharing our doctrine. What's our doctrine? Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's my doctrine. Jesus Christ. That's it. His word. That's my doctrine. I don't want my doctrine spoken against. So my actions, my life, my witness are to glorify God. It's all throughout this chapter 6. It's all throughout there. Now, if I'm honest, I've gotten... I've gotten wrapped up in a couple political arguments lately. So this is a, this is a good reminder to me. And I'm okay with having an opinion and I'm okay with thinking my opinion is right. But my opinion does not trump my desire that God be glorified. My check this out, my convictions, your convictions don't trump our desire for God to be glorified. Because we think our convictions, I mean, most of us think our convictions are pretty lined up, but when there's flesh, there's selfish motivation. And there's times our convictions got a little flesh in them. And our ability to, to want our desire to be right or to win. We just need to keep in mind that our actions, our words, our life to glorify God. These are great guidelines to follow in all that we do all the time, not just the first week in November. Does it glorify God and not tear down His great name? Does it strengthen the cause of what we believe or weaken it? Let's pray. Lord, we desire that you be glorified in our lives, in our words, in our Facebook posts, in our actions, in our days, in our evenings, in our work, in all that we do, Lord God. We desire that you be glorified. Lord, that is our heart's desire, Lord. And we don't always display that, Lord. We don't always represent it, Lord. We don't... Well, we don't always do that, but that is our desire. That your good name would remain lifted up and unblemished. Lord, that this thing that we believe in, Lord, Lord, the cause that we live our life for, the cause of Jesus Christ, would be strengthened and not weakened. So, Lord, we yield to you. Lord, we stand in honorable Guarding, not allowing the enemy place to bring envy and strife and malicious words 
and arguments in your church, Lord God. We do so with love. We do so with firmness, but we do so with grace. Lord, we do so with one another because we are in relationship with one another. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you gave us your word. Lord, and I thank you for this, Lord, this book of 1 Timothy. And I thank you, Lord, for the things that encourage it, the ways that we are stronger because we believe you, because we believe your word. Because, Jesus, we want you to be right. We don't want to be right. If it means being opposite or contrary to you, Lord, then we don't want to be right. We want you to be right, Lord, all the time. So we live a life yielded to you. My friends, let's just do that right now. Let's just take a moment wherever we are and let's just yield our hearts to him and let's just say out loud, Jesus, I want you to be right. I want you to be right. It's not about me. I want you to be right. Let's just take a moment and just set our hearts on him. Convince our our resolve to make him right in our lives and to live for him. Lord, I thank you for your church. And Lord, we we stand here right now committed to do our part, Lord, to, to unify, to strengthen, and to love your church, Lord. We thank you for the honor of relationship, Lord. That we're not blindly serving a religion, Lord, but we have relationship with you. And with you, we willingly serve, Lord. We gladly serve and follow you. Lord, I thank you that you included in your plan us to reign with you, to be in rulership with you. So we walk in authority over the attacks of the enemy that would come against this church, that would come against us, that would come against your church and the fellowship of the saints, Lord. We purpose in our hearts right now to get not to get swept up in arguments, Lord, but, but to avoid them, but not to avoid people, Lord. Jesus, in wanting you to be right, we want your truth to be proclaimed. Not our opinion of your truth, but your truth. We want you to reign. We want you to be right. we can keep all eyes closed just for a minute but if everybody could still just stay focused in with me I need about two more minutes so even though your eyes are closed still be locked into my words let's discipline our minds so that they're not wandering if you're here tonight and you've never declared your belief in Jesus Christ but as you're sitting there right now you believe you believe that he is Lord you believe that he died for you, paid the price for your sins. And he was in that tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the grave and he lives. He is alive. And because he lives, you too can live. If you believe that, if you believe in Jesus, but you've just hesitated in declaring that belief and making him not just your Savior, but your Lord saying, 
You get your way. You're the boss. I yield to you. You're my king and I give my life to you. If you're here tonight and you're ready to make that commitment to say, I declare my trust in you, Lord. I declare my belief in you and I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Then I just want you to lock eyes with me, raise your hand and you and I are going to pray together. Is there anyone here tonight that is ready, just chomping at the bit to make that declaration? Just lock eyes with me, raise your hands and we're going to pray together. Is there anyone? Father, I thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your faithfulness. Lord, we love you. Hmm. I just feel like the Lord wants to do something here tonight. I just want us to breathe him in. Um, Push past it if it sounds foolish. I just want us to breathe him in. His peace. His joy. Breathe him in, church. His strength. Your life. Drink deep. He is good. Lord, and breathing you in right now, Lord, we just exhale all heaviness. Lord, we just push out all weariness. Lord, we push away every lie and distortion of the enemy. Lord, we cling to your truth. Lord, we receive your strength, your joy, your peace. Oh, your fullness of joy, Lord. Nothing partial about it. Your fullness, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to leave here strong. You want us to leave here full. You want us to leave here eyes clear, hearts full, set on you, Lord. Lord, I just bless each individual that's here, each marriage, each family, with the fullness of who you are. Lord, bless each one of us, Lord, as we apply your word, live your word, and pursue you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.